0: I want to I want to I want to um speak to you guys this morning and w- in the context of uh pastors, student pastors, moms, dads, small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, w- w- whatever you're doing um, to engage students in ministry, everybody's here in some way um is in, is involved in ministry. Um pastors' wives, one of the Probably one of the most unglorious, inglorious ministries in the world is that of a pastor's wife. Amen, ladies. (laughs) Uh, I grew up in a home where my dad was a pastor, and I watched my mom get—if I've ever known somebody live on an island, it was her, uh, because uh, my dad didn't uh, do—unfortunately, didn't do a good job of balancing these two things. These two worlds did not meet well for him. And so, what we got was um, uh, the guy that was at church was not the guy that was at home and um, that I'm not painting with a broad stroke mm-hmm. there. I believe that fortunately uh, that's something that that is uh, the exception, not the rule so but it was it was it was a reality that I grew up in, and so it, it made me when the Lord started leading my wife and I into ministry it it kind of put on the radar the reality that. Okay there's some things we need to safeguard against there's some things we need to check and balance and make sure we don't uh, I'm not going to go down that path I'm, i I would rather um, go do something else than to uh, than to than to not shepherd one or the other well either the ministry here or at church or at home and so um, i th- I think that in most areas of life, it, it, if we do things God's way, it, it ends up being easier than harder. Easier, not harder. But for some reason, we tend to um, take the harder route a lot of times. I don't know how you guys are, but it seems like a lot of times I don't, I don't, I don't do things God's way. I kind of do things my way and mess it up a time or two and then figure out, oh, I should probably do this God's way and And so, when it comes to balance in ministry and, and family i want to do it i want to do it the way the Lord intends for me to do it and so i want I want to share with you um, first uh just some thoughts from a passage of scripture, and then I'm just gonna give uh i don't know several eight maybe maybe ten just practical things from from our life, our lives together, little and I that over the years we've learned and implemented in terms of um, how we balance student ministry with church cause I also am a pastor at a church so we, we we planted a church a few years ago it's a it's a southern baptist church plant here in uh here in andrews so we've got church pastoral responsibilities and then camp pastoral responsibilities and then um planet holloway uh, is you have to rule that with an iron fist and so it's uh it's, uh, you know, kind of doing the juggling act, and a lot of you guys, you're bivocational. You got home, work, church, and so you identify with that. And, uh, and even, if, even if your responsibility at church is a, a helper to a small group leader, uh, it's, there's, no, there's no such thing as small or diminished responsibility. One of the dangers that people make, I think, in terms of ministry, that uh, this will seem... This will seem uh, contradictory to the whole idea of not balancing ministry and, and family well, but I think it's, it's not contradictory. It's actually one of the things that accelerates it is when we, when we kind of flip the understanding of our responsibility or, or our importance in ministry, and, uh, and we kind of make the task diminutive, and we make our position Kind of exalted or elevated or exaggerated when what we need to do is kind of make who I am and how I fit into this thing. That's what needs to be diminutive, and then the task or the calling needs to be exalted. That way, Christ is 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 the big picture, and I'm just kind of fitting into this thing, and uh, and I think that's important. So in the in the in the book of First Samuel, in the story of Hannah, if you guys remember Hannah, she's a uh, this lady. She's she's one of two wives to this to this fella and uh lucky guy and uh nothing like polygamy right They ought gotta make some bumper stickers um something but uh kind of confusing you're looking at this thing and you're going these guys are christians how is this working out and he's got one wife and she's got a bunch of kids and then he's got this wife hannah who really loves the lord and she can't have a kid she's barren and she she goes to the temple you remember and she prays and she, remember the story where the priest comes and. The, uh, Eli, the priest, comes and he, and he thinks she's drunk because she's down at the altar. She's praying. She's moving her lips, but she's not saying anything, and he thinks she's drunk. And what she's doing is she's asking the Lord to give her a child, and she's saying, if you'll give me a kid, I'll dedicate this kid to you. I'll, I'll give you this child for good, for life. I'll dedicate him to you. And, uh, and so the Lord gives her a son. His name is Samuel, and he becomes the prophet, the great prophet of Israel. Now, Samuel is, is a picture of Christ because Samuel is kind of like prophet, priest, and king, right? So you've got, this is at the end of the time of the judges. And so throughout the time of the judges, you've got judges that are a little bit more spiritual in their leadership, and you've got judges that are a little more kingly in their leadership, and you've got judges that are just kind of out there, and you're going, is this guy even a Christian like Samson? You've got this kind of crazy broad spectrum of judges, but, but you've got these distinct roles in the Old Testament of prophet, priest, and king, each of those three roles will then be fulfilled by Christ, where Christ is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And Samuel is a picture of that. So so, so Samuel's life, when you study the life of Samuel, Samuel's life is teaching us about Jesus, just like Moses' life is teaching us about Jesus. Moses serves kind of as a prophet, priest, and king, even though the you know, uh, the priesthood of Aaron is is instituted with Moses, and Aaron's sons become priests, but, but nevertheless, Moses functions as a priest and a prophet and a king through much of the exodus, and so you've got these figures throughout the Old Testament that kind of point us to Jesus, show us who and how uh, Jesus will be and function, and so Samuel's life is that life that points us to Jesus and so when we read the story of Samuel we look at who Samuel was it's pointing us to Jesus pointing us to Jesus well Samuel's mother and the way that she raised him contrasts uh, over against the the high priest whose name is Eli okay and if you remember Eli raises two sons their names are Hophni and Phinehas Hophni and Phinehas and Hophni and Phinehas grow up and become in in first Samuel 2 uh, it says in verse 12 now the sons of Eli were worthless men so you think about we've been talking about what it is to be a worthy man in the story of Boaz. Now you've got this exact opposite terminology, worthless men, and then it goes on and explains how they're prosti- you know, they're, using, they're turning uh, ladies in the temple into, basically into prostitutes. They're, uh, they're abusing their office, they're abusing the power they've been given um, for financial gain, for sexual gains. Guys are, are basically um, unregenerate, unsaved. Um, And God deals with not only them, he deals with the house of Eli, he also then deals with all of Israel. Because of their leadership, Israel loses a battle to the Philistines where the Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant from Israel. So there's huge consequences and ramifications for Eli's failed leadership in his home. Because failed leadership in the home always ultimately translates into failed leadership in the ministry so you can't actually lead well in ministry and not lead well in the home it doesn't work that's that's an oxymoron so so maybe for a season it goes okay but ultimately the house of cards is going to fall because god intends for us to first do what we're supposed to do in the home that is our primary calling the the primary calling god places on a pastor or a small group leader or a sunday school teacher is to lead well in the home invest in the relationships in the home and then whatever ministry occurs at the church that's going to be a result of and out of what god's doing in the home and so we've all seen this uh, at work where there's an um you know things are are unbalanced between the two and so it creates instability in the one that eventually creates instability in the other if you've got a pastor who's got three teenage kids and two of them are out of control um and and completely lost and then that is going to obviously affect his ministry and the same thing should be said uh you know wherever wherever we fit into leadership in the church and so um, and and that even goes to uh, the qualifications of a pastor when it says that his children can't be unruly or he needs to manage his household well. He needs to manage his household well. It's very important. And so what you've got with Eli's, you've got this, this picture of when the pastor doesn't do his job at home, the repercussions of that are going to be far-reaching in the community. And, in the, and so it's not just going to be that, that because ultimately Eli's sons die. And we have to say, okay, they're responsible for their sin, but somewhere down the line, Eli failed them and didn't do his job as a dad. In fact, God even confronts it and, and hands down judgment to Eli. So how do we balance this? Because we don't want to swing the other way where we say, well, I want to be in ministry leadership at church, but then we just don't do a good job of that, and we use the excuse of, well, I've got a family, so I can't, well, Okay, so then don't sign up to lead at church if you're not going to do a good job there too. So it is, it is not an either or, it's a both and. We've got we've to do home well and we've got to do church well. That's what it's going to take to have healthy, strong ministry. So, so as Hannah's son is raised up in the, uh, in, in the nurture, we would say the nurture and admonition or the discipline and instruction of the Lord, he's raised up in the temple, he's weaned. And brought straight to the temple and he's raised in the temple and you've got this contrast between Hannah's sons and Eli's sons where the big picture is not okay uh, this is what needs to connect for us the big picture is not oh let's see how Hannah parented versus let's look at how Eli parented the big picture is Hannah raised a man who would point to Christ so Samuel's life is pointing us to Jesus so our goal at home has to be that we would, that all things would point to Christ, that this, the centrality of Christ would be a reality in our home. And then in, in the church, the ministry of the church should be that everything we're doing is pointing people to Christ. And that's where the two ministries come together is the centrality of Christ at home, the centrality of Christ at church, and then that's where they're going to come together, where if you've got home is is more like Jesus is an accessory to the way we're doing family. So we throw devotions in or we throw uh, the blessing in before meals and we call that a Christian home. But Christ is not central. Travel ball is central or making sure you're on the honor roll is central or making sure your kids are going to get the right college education. That's central or whatever that we get kind of swept away in things that are good but things that become primary. And so then that pushes Christ out of that position in our home of, of primary or the primacy of Christ in the home. So he becomes kind of an accessory. And then we're trying that church go, we've well, we got to point to Christ, we've got to point to Christ. And the contradiction kind of exposes us. And so ultimately then at church, we're not centering things around Christ. We're, we tend to then center things around personalities or activities or events or programs. And so then you end up in, in the modern context of what's going on in 1 Samuel 1 and 2 you end up with a situation where at church we're trying to do stuff and at home we're trying to do stuff and then we're kind of throwing Jesus into the mix when if Christ is central in both places, then that's going to bring the two together with the strength of the centrality of Christ in our lives. So that's what's critical. That's what's so important. So from Hannah we learn our lives and families should be pointing to Christ. The centrality of Christ should be a reality. But then also from Eli we learn what happens when, when Christ is not central to ministry? When when our lives at church and our relationships at church don't point people to Christ? And so, so l- let me just uh, I want to give you just a few things, a few talking points. We could we could sit here for from now until lunch and keep fresh coffee on and keep the snacks coming and everybody could chime in and we could. But I've done about uh, maybe nine things. Nine things I think that we'll go over, but we could do 50 or 60. There's so many things we could do to say, how do we balance these two things? How do we protect our family so that they don't become casualties of ministry? Uh, How do we protect our ministry so that we're doing a good job and the centrality of Christ is a reality, but we're not neglecting the family? So how do we do that? So we're going to talk about nine things. The first one is uh, we need to do everything we can uh, with intentionality. So we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional at home. We need to be intentional at church. We can't go into cruise control and expect, well, things at home will just happen like they're supposed to. Or if I'm doing things well at church, then God will protect my family. He will, but he'll do it through our obedience. So if I'm not being obedient at home, so I have to be intentional. I have to be intentional with my obedience in the home. I have to be intentional with my obedience at church. So I can't, neither place can I go into sort of a, just a cruise control of, you know, where I'm relying on my personality or I'm relying on my, you know, my, my previous relationships or, um, or the fact that I think, well, God wouldn't call me into ministry and not protect my family. Well, that's a little bit ambiguous on our part. Well, God will protect my family. Well, he will, uh, but he's going to protect the family by you know that's like saying God wouldn't call me into ministry and then let me be tempted to sin. Well, doesn't make sense. What God does is He calls us into ministry, and through our war against the temptation of sin, He glorifies Himself. So God calls us into ministry, and through our effort to guard and protect the sacred nature of the home and family, God's going to make that a lighthouse of gospel ministry. So He uses that to to bring others to Himself. So we've got to be intentional. Got to be really intentional. I can't be intentional with my 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 Sunday school lesson or my my small group study, and not be intentional with family devotions. Can't do that. I, it's, it's, that won't work. I have to be intentional and strategic in both in both of those arenas. Number two. Uh, need to never assume that our kids won't become stereotypical ministry kids. You know, I, preacher kids is you know oh, it's a pre that's PK. It's PK. You know, and I was a PK and. And, and dove right into the stereotypes of what a PK is, and and uh, and a lot of that had to do with, um, you know, a, a poor balance between the home and the church, um, with in, in our home. So I can't assume. I don't. I don't need to assume. It's kind of piggybacks onto the first one. I can't assume that my kids are just going to be these godly little Bible warriors that are going to the halls of their local public school, and they're just winning people to Jesus, like John the Baptist, you know, down at Mount Pleasant High or whatever. You know, it's like, that's, that's my boy, you know. It's because I grew up, it's because I raised him up, and I'm a pastor, or I'm a small group leader, and so he's just a gunslinger for Jesus. Well, I can't assume that's going to happen. It's, in fact, what's going to happen is, the contrary, the fact that God has led you into ministry, that's going to put an added pressure on your kids where they're going to feel like they've got to find a place where they fit in so that they're not different. I'm, now I'm speaking first person. I remember as a, as a 10th grader, really wrestling through, I don't want people to think, well, he's the preacher's kid. So I don't want him to not cuss in front of me because my dad's the preacher. I remember thinking that. So what did I do? just cuss a lot, swear a lot. Okay, you can swear in front of me. See, it doesn't matter that I'm the preacher's kid, I can swear too. I watch the same movies you watch, we do the same thing. And so I I can't assume my kid won't go down that path because they will. It's gonna take a very, very, very focused effort to keep them from going down that path. And so I can't assume that they're not gonna become stereotypical preacher's kids, I can't assume that. I have to be intentional in making sure that they have what they need to thrive and grow in their own walk with the Lord have to be very intentional with that. It's not, it's not the same to, you know, they're, they're at, at times, especially in their adolescent years, they're, they're maybe not gonna share the same zeal that you and I share for the ministry calling God's placed on our lives. There may be seasons where they're not excited about the fact that their mom leads a girl's small group on Wednesday nights they you know when when all of a sudden they're the same age as the kids in your small group and they're having you know they're coming they're being a part of the small group And my, I remember you know one of the worst days of my life was the day my mom said to me hey I'm gonna be a substitute teacher at your high school and I was like uh could you please not ever be a substitute teacher in a classroom that I'm in you know and it's like oh man and sure enough man I remember the day came and there she was and I was like uh, can I skip class today you know and so there's going to be a point where our kids are going to be in that small group, you know. And it's going to be, and it's going to be important that that can either be the, one of the most awesome seasons of ministry or it can be one of the most difficult. I can't assume that they're just going to be, um, you know, little um, little Jesus freaks running around telling everybody about you know the gospel. And so uh, I I can't assume that. Um, so number three, so then I need to, we need to in everything point our family, our kids specifically to Scripture. Okay, we need to point them to Scripture. We need to do this a couple ways. We need to do it a couple ways. We need to, um, first we need to model it for them. Okay, so we need to model for them what it is to live a life that is saturated with the Word of God. So um, not just tell them, hey, read your Bible, but they need to see the value and the importance of the study of Scripture in our own lives. So I remember the Lord was so gracious to me when my oldest uh, was, um, she was probably, I don't know, four or five years old, and I'd get up in the morning early and sit, it was in the wintertime, and I'd sit by the wood stove, get the fire really cranked up, and, uh, and I would sit there and I would, I would sip coffee and just kind of have my Bible reading, and uh, kind of as, a, as an aside here, um, this is not going to be one of the points that we make, but it probably should be. Yeah, let's make it, let's make it a point. All right, so here's a point and a point, is that the, the most important thing you can give your wife and kids or the most important thing you can give your husband and kids is your own personal pursuit of holiness, your own personal pursuit of, of devotion to the scripture and devotion to the Lord. That's, the, that's the, got to be the greatest. So more than pursue effective ministry, more than pursue effective family, pursue Jesus personally. If we're pursuing Jesus above everything else, then the other things are going to take care of themselves. And so we, and so that means I need to study God's word, not just so I can teach a good lesson. Men, we're the worst at this. If you're a pastor, youth pastor, or small group leader, Sunday school teacher, you go, you, it's hard for, do you not agree? It's hard to open up the word of God and just read it and enjoy it without going, ooh, there's a point for a sermon. Ooh, I need to share this. Ooh, I got to go there in my next small, you know, it's like, okay, just unplug from that. So what, you know, I know for me, what I have to do. Because I have to sit down with no journal, so I don't start scribbling a bunch of outlines and notes and diagram and sentences. So it's like, okay, I need to just read the Bible and saturate it. You know, that's got to fill my mind. And so, I, anyway, so there's the extra point. So now we're at ten, okay? So I guess we'll call that point uh, four or three point five. Let's call it three point five, okay? So that way my numbering system won't get off. So pursue holiness, pursue Jesus, and then pursue responsibilities in ministry so so back to number three where we're talking about pointing them to scripture modeling it my, my little girl comes in i'm sitting by the wood stove and every morning she's an early riser like me so she would come in there and she'd curl up on the couch you know i'd get her sippy cup full of milk or whatever and and uh and and one day she said we in 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 passing we're just kind of making small talk she said in the mornings when I come in the living room, you're always sitting on the couch. You're reading your Bible When you're drinking coffee. I said, yeah. She said, I want to do that. I was like, awesome. You know, went around the corner and had a breakdown, you know. And uh, thank you, Jesus. This is awesome. She's going to be like a little missionary, you know. Like, you know, you start thinking, this is great. It's like when your kid actually hits the wiffle ball with a bat and you're like, he's going to the major leagues, no doubt, you know. <laughs> and so so I'm like, okay, how do I, you know, throw kerosene on this fire? And so so I start you know, yeah, baby, you get up, you come in there, we'll read the Bible together, so I'll make you some coffee. So you know, now, you know, by the time the kid was 10, she was like a coffee addict. Um, <laughs> so she would come in there, and I would make her a little, you know, put a little little coffee in with some milk, and, uh, and, then, and then a little sugar in there, and we would sit there, and we'd drink our coffee, and we'd read the Bible together. So just modeling it, and it's obviously easy when they're little like that. You, you grab a copy, if you, young families, young children, please get a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible by sally lloyd jones the best resource out there for i think for uh for teaching kids the bible just because of the emphasis on the centrality of christ throughout the scripture so we start reading the you know jesus storybook bible or whatever and showing her the importance of scripture at a young age and 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 i'll tell you by god's grace to this to this day that kid's 14 years old and and uh, she's got stacks of journals of exegetical study of Scripture. I don't, I don't touch it. I don't. I mean, we meet, we'll we'll meet and talk once a week about what she's learning. And uh, I would never say this with her in the room. So, uh, and I haven't shared this all summer, but um, well, mainly because it happened last Saturday. Uh, that's why I haven't shared it all summer. But, but Saturday <laughs> evening, she said, "Daddy, I got to show you something." I go in the room, and she says, "I want you, I want you to see this." And so, my fourteen-year-old daughter lays out. She's got her Bible laid out, she's got her journal, and she says, look at this parallel in Proverbs 31, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman, look at the parallel of those kind of those characteristics with Proverbs 3 and the characteristics of wisdom. You see this connection? She's like teaching me. You see this connection? You've got a connection between wisdom and the Proverbs 31 woman. This is a woman of wisdom. And she's like drawing, and I'm going, you know, and so then I go around the corner and have another breakdown, and I'm like, oh, I remember this from 10 years ago, you know. And so so modeling the study of Scripture, trusting that If we can do that, not just say it, but do it and let them see it, that that's going to matter and God's going to use that. And and that's so critical. So they need to see us in the word. So it's not just, hey, we love the Bible in our family, so we're going to have devotions. But it's, man, every night before bed, the last thing I see my dad and my mom doing is pouring over the scriptures. And in the morning when I wake up and come in the kitchen, they're pouring over the scriptures. So, you know, we're modeling together. Then we're studying together. As a family, we study the scripture together. You know, in devotions, family devotions, we study it together, and it's our job to make that enjoyable and exciting and to bring it to life. But then also, one-on-one, I think it's important, you know, if you've got more than one kid, to one-on-one spend time with those kids in the study of Scripture. And then husband and wife, it's very important that we're speaking of and talking of the things of God in the Scripture and sharing those things that we're learning. Um, And some of you, I know, maybe do husband and wife devotions. We don't do that. Um, not because there's anything wrong with it, just it doesn't work as well for us, the way little and I think and process to sit down and do devotions together and a study together doesn't really work. So we talk about what we're learning individually, sharing those things, sharpening each other, praying together. and uh, so so important to point them to scripture. Uh, number four, um, redeem conversation. So car rides, meal times dead time, lull in the conversation, we redeem conversation. Think of Deuteronomy 6, where God through Moses tells the people, when you're walking, talk about the things of God. Talk about the scripture. When you're you're rising up, when you're lying down, when you're in your home, when you're walking in the way, that you're talking about the scripture. These things are on your lips. They're written, literally written on your your frontal lobe, you know, your forehead, like you're consumed It's scripture, scripture, scripture. So important. So redeem conversation. Uh, another way to do that was, would be, you know, processing theological themes in movies. So, uh, Kilby and I, my oldest one this past weekend, I was like, let's, let's, uh, let's pick something on Netflix and watch a season of something. Me and my boy are watching a, a show on Netflix It's I think it's an A&E show called Longmire. It's like a wild, wild, modern wild, wild west, shoot 'em up, kill the bad guys, awesome, you know. And so we're watching that, and so Kilby's like, hey, let's, let's watch a show. So I'm like, that sounds good. So now we're, we started, we watched four episodes. It was raining Saturday. We, we got done with camp. We piled up on the couch and watched four straight episodes of this show called Once Upon a Time. Have any of y'all seen that? It? it was awesome. I was like, this is awesome. It's like a modern fairy tale thing, you know? And I'm like, I can't believe I'm watching this. Did I lose my man card, you know? And so <laughs> we watched this thing. But redeeming conversation when it was over, talking about theological implications. Talking about theological implications. My son and I watched an episode of Longmire where all of a sudden there was a woman in, 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 in uh, like underwear, her underwear. And so we, you know, we, we, we mute it. And we, we've got a, this thing where we go behind the pillow and we, you know, and, and then, you know, my wife will say, okay, it's over. And so we can, you know, she's, she's clothed or whatever. So, but then afterwards talking about why do we do that? Why do we not want to look at a woman in her underpants? Why do we not want to see two people that are, are doing sexual things? You know, so just redeeming conversation instead of just saying, we don't listen to stuff with cussing in it. or We ain't going to watch something if it's got two people making out. But it's like, okay, how do we process it? We live in a world that is worldly Right? So, how do we we can't stick our heads in the sand? So, redeeming conversation and using movies, film, music, you know, things like that. We're riding down the road listening to music, and I'm saying, what was the song? This was, I don't remember now what song it was, but there, um, it was a pink song. And we're riding down the road, and I realized two of my kids are singing it. They know it word for word. And I'm like, do you guys know what this song is saying? You know, so we turn the radio off and we, we talk about, we redeem that opportunity to talk about the gospel and, and, and the message of this song. So it's not, we well, don't listen to rock and roll music. You play it backwards, it says Satan smokes marijuana, amen? You know, that, that was what I grew up with, you know? You know, it was like, a, you know, you play Queen backwards and it says, Satan goes to the prom. You know, it's like, what? What are you talking about? Who plays it backwards anyway? Y'all remember that? Back masking. you Remember that? I'm like, what are you, who, what independent fundamental Baptist dude came up with this, you know? And it's like... Can we not do something better with our time? So redeem conversation where it's not like, here's the rules, follow them. But it's, there's a reason, and it's the gospel. There's a re- we have to know how to engage culture, and it's going to take an effort, a concerted effort on our part to talk through the way we watch film, the way we listen to music, and stuff like that. Um, number five, uh, I wrote this kind of funny, but I think it'll make sense. i got to throw out the Superman cape and shield them from the ugly side of ministry. So there are gonna be things that happen, like last week, when, I'm, when, I'm, when Joy, our counselor, and I are counseling a situation where a young lady who's here, who's 15, and her dad has just been arrested a couple days before they came to camp, and while we're at camp, the charges go from 16 counts to 30 counts of sodomy. He's a Boy Scout troop leader, and they've done this investigation on this guy. They've set up a hotline. He's—he's he's, So many kids are coming forward. It's going to hit the national news. You're going to hear about it. It's going to be in the national news in the next month. So we're processing this. i am I going to come home? As uh, it's, it's heavy as my heart was when I got home after that, I'm going to throw the cape out and not let my kids see that side of what my day looked like. While Why? why where, don't need to. Life is ugly enough. The world is ugly enough and they're going to see enough of it um, that I'm going to shield them from as much as I can. And, and again, we're going to, I'm not going to shield them from all of it. I'm not going to stick their heads in the sand. We're going to, we're going to slowly expose. We're going to, we're going to kind of pull back the blinders and let them see some of what goes on. And, and, and so they feel the weight of ministry, but at the same time, I got to protect them. And also that leads to, you know, I don't, I don't want I don't want to come home and, oh, man, complain about this deacon who's, you know, trying to control my life and, and, and control the way we do student ministry or whatever. You know, be careful that we're not running other people in the ground, that we're protecting the, the, the you know, the, the church and its purity. Even if it's not functioning in its purity, we want them to see the biblical view of what the church should be. And so we're going to have to protect and guard them from some things and expose them to some and, and find that balance. And I think along with that, we could add um, that it like my wife doesn't always need to hear how hard and stressful my day was, you know and I know there are days where she probably had a really rough day homeschooling and, and doing you know ministry stuff with folks coming in and out of our home and but she probably but she probably doesn't tell me how bad the day was you know there's times where we just better let's just don't vent every day you know all of a sudden it creates negativity towards the church or towards ministry which ultimately will lead to negativity towards the gospel and the calling you know um next one i think it's uh so so i'm gonna get into a couple of just the last couple here just of uh like practically how do we do this Um, as a family, how do we do ministry? So how do we, instead of just, I'm going and doing ministry, then coming home, how do we do it as a family? And I think that's important, finding a balance where the whole family's on mission together. So we go on mission together. We're a family on mission for the gospel. This could look like a number of things. This could be, you know, serving, uh, well, like uh, something we started doing probably 10 or 12 years ago when our kids were teeny tiny, our oldest kids. Is uh, we started going on a mission, like on mission together. So, uh, an example would be our family vacation every year. We go volunteer at, the, at Orphanage Emmanuel. So, uh, and we explain to our kids this is not a mission trip. Missions, biblical missions, is the planning of church, planting of churches, raising up of leadership in those churches, making of disciples to the nations because that's missions missions is the great commission taking the gospel to the nations reaching the world with the gospel then there is social justice in the name of jesus humanitarian work in the name of jesus ministering to the least of these in the name of jesus taking care of widows and orphans in the name of jesus and that's we need to do that too because this is not missions this is just being obedient to what jesus told us to do take care of people that are that are the least of these. scripture says so let's go do that together so you go down and uh, and serve together uh, so that's our our big family vacation every year is just to go on. It's, it's expensive but it's not that much more expensive than going to disney world and people ain't gonna help you go to disney world but they'll help you take your family out of the country and go work in an orphanage you know so it ends up you know lord always brings the money in and we're able to do it which we'll see what it's like paying for seven you know tickets instead of five that's gonna be rough but i think that's that's one way another way is uh, using the f- the home so our kids need to see I think this is really important that they don't just view ministry through the lens of the church. So they need to view ministry through the lens of the home. Otherwise, it's like, well, we got our home and then the church is where ministry happens. So we need to open our home. So this is showing hospitality to, you know, to your student ministry, to people in the church, but then also bringing in lost people into the home. I'm really, uh, you know, my kids will tell you, um, you know, I I like to engage lost people um, in a way that that we're bringing them into our lives, and you have to be careful with this to a degree. But, you know, like I'll pick up hitchhikers, and you know, and, and I'm not going to pick up a hitchhiker and have them sit between my two daughters in the back seat, you know. But but you know, if we're in the truck, um, you know, me and my wife and uh, my son were coming down the road, and picked up a hitchhiker, and I'm like, hey, dude, if you're cool riding in the back of the truck, jump in, you know. He rides in the back of the truck, but before we go, let's talk for a second. And so I stand there at the tailgate on the side of. You know the interstate and uh, the, you know the exit ramp there, and and just share the gospel of this guy, so they're able to see that. So mission is out. You know, it's outside of the walls of the church, um, bringing people into the home. Um, we got a. We don't really have any neighbors, but there's our closest neighbor. The guy lives through the woods um, at the end of our driveway, and uh, he's he's had a pretty rough life. He's in his mid 50s. Looks like he's in his 70s. Pills, you know. Uh, he's an alcoholic been in and out of jail doesn't hold a job, and when he's sober he's awesome uh, but when he's not sober he's just he's out of his mind i mean he's crazy and so the people that lived in our house before us the last time he went to jail, he went to jail for three years because he shot up our house. The people that lived in there he's shooting at the house, and the you know the police show up and' just, you know, fortunately these guys, these local deputies are awesome. They're just like, just wait a minute, he'll run out of bullets in a second. So they stay behind the barn and he's you know, it's Ernest T. Bass down there shooting up through the woods with the shotgun, you know, and, and finally they yelled at him, you know, Are you uh you out of bullets? Yeah. All right. We're coming down there. We got the lasers on his chest. He's laying he's down in the creek in his underwear. It's like December, you know. And they're walking down through there, you know. Let us see your hands, Jack. And he's like, okay, you know. So that, so he goes to jail for three years over that deal, and he, and he gets out of jail. We're living in the house, and so maybe five years, and we had moved into this house. Well, and the people that had lived in our house, they provoked him bad. I mean, he's, they were uh, what do you call it? Preppers, and so our our water at our house we're on a spring which is pretty common you know I'm growing up in the mountains and, and it's a pretty normal system so you don't have a well in your own city water you just got a spring and a reservoir and that's how you get water into your house and but we he's got rights he's got mineral rights to our spring so out of the overflow of our water tank he gets water well these people kept cutting his water line because they're preppers like you gonna know, stockpile water you know from a spring and so they were just they were weird man they were crazy I never met him, but I, I saw the, I mean, like they had, our basement was like, a, they were raising like meat chickens, meat rabbits, and meat goats in the basement, so it was just weird, so this poor old boy, they had run him ragged, so he finally decided to shoot up the house one night after he put a good drunk on, you know, and so, so we get home, and I mean, I mean he gets home, and we, I mean, you know, we're talking, and so I invite him up to the house several times, you know, he comes up and eats supper, and and, and I tell him, you know, you're never allowed to be over here if you're drinking or if I'm not home. If I'm not home, don't you, if I find out, I said, Jack, if I find out, I'm going to put this really simple. Okay. You're not in the best of shape. And if I find out that you have gone to my house while my family's there and I'm not there, I'm going to f- beat you up with my fists. Okay. That's, and you're just spelling it out. Okay. And that's if you get off lucky and my wife doesn't shoot you, you know? And so you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, I won't go over there if your truck's not there. Yeah, don't go over there if my truck's not there. Literally, you know, this guy's brain's about half fried, and so, but he just needs the Lord. He needs the Lord, and so, um, so he's up at our house one night, and we're having supper, and the kids, hey Jack, and the kids are great. Come on in, Jack. Hey Jack. Everybody runs over and hugs him. We're sitting there having supper, and we get done, and we're just kind of reading the Bible together and studying, and and uh, and and so he said. We, I pray at the end, and he says, I get done praying. And he says, Can I pray? And I said, Yeah, Jack, go for it, man. And so everybody, so I'm looking at my kids, and they're all kind of looking at Jack. And he says this big, long prayer about how thankful he is that when he was in prison um in solitary confinement for getting in that fight with you know with the shank the dude had and he's going how he prayed that when he came home there wouldn't be crazy people living in the house beside him so he wouldn't have to kill them and he's just a big line and I'm looking at my kids you know and they're and you know they started they're like this and then, and then they're doing this and all of a sudden they're like just listen and then, it, and then the guy's weeping on my kitchen table. And he's like, God, I don't ever want to hurt these people. Don't let me hurt these people. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? And so it was just, you know, it, when it was over, I'm walking out on the porch. And I'm like, Jack, listen, dude, I don't. what are you talking about? You know, we talked through it. But it was, it was just a good, man, I was like, yeah, this is what, this is, we got to do this. As a family, we've got to be on mission together. They've got to see the value and the importance of the gospel that we believe the gospel changes people's lives and the gospel is the motivating factor in our lives and so it's so important that as a family we're we're doing this thing together and so uh, the next one is uh, we need to value meal times value meal times for us shared this a little bit last night with the ladies we eat supper at like 10 o'clock at night between nine and 10 o'clock at night because it's either everybody eats separately. One kid comes in from ball practice, then another kid comes in from ball practice, and then another, you know, and and then I've got a late meeting at camp, or I'm preaching somewhere on the road. So it's like, so we can trickle in, and some people can eat at five or six, and some people can eat at seven, and some can eat at nine, or we can just say, you know what, and and you know the reality is, about 80% of the world eats a couple of meals a day, one late morning to midday, and one at about 10 o'clock at night. And so, that means we get in bed a little later and if we got to do naps after school or you know it'll be fine it'll be fine and 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 uh, so um w- for us we've had to figure out and this was my wife's doing she's like you know we just got to eat late I'm not, and so that's what we do we have snacks they have snacks before ball practice whatever and we sit down at 9:30 at night and have a meal together um during the school year and 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 use that for conversation and and it's just awesome. So, um, and we go from that, we'll, we'll go to the couches and kind of spread out and, and, and just read the Bible together. And so usually our bedtime's like 11 and the kids are getting up at six. It's like, wow, that's not healthy. That's not healthy. But, uh, you know, you, you, you do that a couple of days and then you have a, an early night where everybody's in bed at nine and it you just, it, that's the, is, that's the culture we live in. You know, nothing's, there's no black and white scheduling in our culture. You'd go crazy if you try to overdo that anyway. So, um, Anyway, so valuing those meal times and, and making sure that we're eating together and spending time together because that's critical. Um, and then uh, I guess the last one that I've got on the list, I don't even know what number we got up to, but the last one I'll go over is, um, and I kind of talked about this earlier, but we've got to work at this. Minist- ministry calling doesn't mean I'm going to be good at ministry or good at family. Like God doesn't call me. To, he, he's not called any of us to engage in ministry because we're good at it already. God's not, look, God's not looking for a few good men and women, right? God's not the Marines. He's not, we're looking for a few good men. Okay, well, no, that's not, that's not, that's not it at all, right? He's, he's looking for those who are available. You know, he wants people that are available whose hearts are set on the Lord. You know, you see, you see in Scripture places like in the beginning of Job where God notices the righteousness of Job. You know, or he, he recognizes that David is a man after his heart. But God's not recruiting the, the cream of the crop. You know, God's not like, man, I just need some good folks to do my ministry where it's he's, he's not like that. It, so just because I have a calling on my life to to be involved in ministry, it's not like, well, God called me because I'm so good at what I do. So everything will just take care of itself. It's, you know, it's not like the, I remember playing, I played uh, some college basketball. and I remember there was a guy on my team in the summer I would do. Man, I would be so intentional with my workouts because I wanted to get ahead. I remember this kid named brett anthony he's a he's a six foot white kid from Miami He could jump like you know a grasshopper and he would go home and his, and and lay around all summer and at the beach and you know eat little debbies and drink whole milk and you know just come back a little bit chubby and and could jump through the roof and dunk the ball and and just he didn't have to work at it. He just, he didn't, he just had that natural ability. None of us have that. And when it comes to gospel ministry, it doesn't work that way. Well, I've got a good personality or I know the Bible or it doesn't work that way. So the ministry calling doesn't mean, well, I'm gifted. So this is going to be easy. It's going to take a concerted, forced laborious effort at home. And and the same thing at church, and what I've got to remember is I'm basically shepherding two separate flocks, and I cannot lump those two flocks together. I can't just go, well, my kids know I love them, so I just throw them into kind of the general population of sheep, right? And and, and I'm going, well, you know, my kids are in the youth group, and I'm working with the youth, so I'm being a good daddy. It doesn't work that way. I've got two separate flocks. It's kind of like it's kind of like the story, and this is not the point of the story, but I think we can draw some practical application. The story when when uh, remember when Nate is it Nathan, the prophet that goes and confronts David over Bathsheba, and he says, "Hey, there was this guy, and he's got one little lamb that's like a prize lamb, and then this other guy, the landowner, has got all these sheep, and he goes and takes this guy's lamb." Kind of if you could take that story and go, "Okay, we need to have prize lambs, but they need to be our kids," you know, when when it comes to ministry investment. We need to we need to invest in them, and we, so it's almost like if if, if you're familiar with four H, you know, or you grew up and, and did that, you kind of you raise this steer over here or this heifer to be you know your show cow. <laughs> I hate to use that, you know, we're not calling our kids cows, but um, they're cows. Okay, so in this illustration, so and then you've got you know the beef cows that are, you're going to eat, you know. They're out here. So see it's kind of like I'm I'm grooming this one in the barn, you know. It's kind of like this idea that. Um, I've got to do effective ministry at church. I have a responsibility and a calling, and I've got to be faithful in that. but I've got a separate flock that I've got to invest in at home. I can't just lump the two together and expect it to take care of itself. It's going to be very important that our families feel an exclusivity in terms of our affection, our attention, and our commitment. They need to feel exclusive in that, and so very important. all right, let me pray and uh and and you guys can get your students or get to breakfast or whatever got to pray that you uh. Give us favor in in the ministry calling you've placed in our lives, God, as as pastors, student pastors, small group leaders, um, friends, mentors, disciples, I pray that we'd do it well and we'd do it in a way that you're honored and glorified. God, that we'd do it in a way that ministry sustains itself even in our absence. We will have done effective ministry, both at church and in the community and in the home, when we can be removed and things stand firm i pray that we would not build ministries that are centered around ourselves our lives our personalities our strengths we build ministries that are centered around the gospel and the cross of christ and the person of jesus and the work of jesus both in the home and at church and that we would do a good job of bringing those two worlds together so that one doesn't threaten the other but that the two both come together to exalt christ love you and i thank you for the individual leaders represented in this room, God, so many homes represented, so many churches represented. God, people that are faithful to the calling you've placed on their lives. I pray, I don't know who this morning might be here struggling with the stress and the pressure of balancing it all, the stress and the pressure of ministry, the stress and the pressure of raising godly kids in a in a society like the one we live in. God, I pray that you would sustain us, give us what we need to honor you as as husbands and wives and And mamas and daddies and pastors and small group leaders. And uh, and we'd do it faithfully so that one day we'd get to hear the words, well done. And as Peter tells us that we would shepherd the flock of God, not with compulsion, but willingly. Not for selfish gain, but eagerly. Not domineering, but as examples. Help us to do that, God. Help us to shepherd well so that then we would receive the crown of glory that is awaiting us if we'll do this task the way you've called us to do it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.